This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Welcome back to Happy Valley, where Penn State is now 8-0 since 0-5. Getting it done today with a 38 to 17 victory over Villanova. Not getting it done as emphatically as a lot of people would have liked and as emphatically as we anticipated with our predictions. I was at 52 to 10. I know Sean Fitz was, uh, I think, 49 to 7, somewhere in that range. And Mark, you'll have to remind me of your score. And if I have to remind our listeners, Mark Brennan, longtime Penn State analyst, joining us here. Sean, off on his adventure at the Ryder Cup in Wisconsin. Uh, he took the FCS opponent a little bit lightly. Maybe Penn State did too, Mark. Yeah, I mean, it looks that way. I had it, I had it at 47-14, so I, I thought there would be more points uh, scored by Penn State in this game. But, you know, Tyler, to me, the thing coming out of this game, and, and I'm not sure, uh, you know, what, what the TD take is on this one, but we, we had been making excuses and excuses for why the Penn State running game wasn't working, uh, you know, playing really good defenses, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this is looking like a problem. I mean, this is still a top 10 team, obviously, you know, rate rate at number six going into this game. But sooner or later, and James Franklin said it afterward, they're going to have to be able to run the ball, and they just didn't do it. Now, w- with that said, you know, they, they had a pretty good passing game. I mean, Sean Clifford was was unbelievable yet again, and uh, Dotson was tremendous. Washington was tremendous. But that ground game, you know, picking up 80 yards, averaging, what, just over two yards a carry, that's not going to cut it moving forward. They really have to pick that up. Yeah, I mean, when you imagine an offensive game against an FCS opponent, we talked a lot this week, Villanova, number 11 at that level. They're a playoff contender at that level, but they're competing against the number six team in the FBS. And so you kind of think, okay, explosive plays. You had that today. You had Jahan Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, DeAndre Lambert-Smith, a special day for all three of those wide receivers. Uh, Sean Clifford, as I referenced you in the press box, the first quarterback in Penn State history to throw for 400 yards in America. Back in 2014 in Ireland, Christian Hackenberg went for 440-plus, I believe that was. This time Clifford goes for 401, four touchdowns. He did throw an interception, his second on the season, second consecutive game. But overall, performance that in the passing game checked a lot of boxes. Um, One thing that you can certainly leave from this performance wondering is, can Penn State pick it up because they've got a lot of tests coming? Uh, I'm not sure how good Indiana is this year. They're going to be significantly better than Villanova. I promise you that. They'll be on campus for a primetime game on Saturday night. Beyond that, of course, you've got trips to Iowa and Ohio State and Michigan State, and Michigan comes to town. This is no joke. Defensively, what you're going to see up front is pretty scary if you're not ready to handle it. We saw um, today that it was not coming together. That involved the tight ends who drew criticism from James Franklin after a really strong effort against Auburn. He specifically pointed them out in a negative light after the game, and, and a lot of that had to do with their blocking. The offensive line continues to kind of 
move pieces a little bit here and there, leave a lot to be desired from a run game perspective. And then you tie in the running backs. Let's not act like like they're not at fault in any way, shape, or form here. You have not seen that dynamic uh, ability from this running back group where they turned the smallest sliver of daylight into something special. There was only one carry today against an FCS opponent that went for double-digit yardage. At least that was late in the game. John Lovett had that 13-yard run. And you said to me, turn to me in the press box, is that as long as run, uh, longest run for anybody? Yeah. And it was. I think it was the longest run for anybody about five, six yards. I wrote about this before we came on the podcast. No Noah Kane today um, after the first couple possessions. He was on the field when Jahan Dotson caught a 52-yarder to, to, to start this game. Came back, one carry, two yards, on the sideline, in uniform. John Lovett looked the best uh, pretty easily, I think, out of any running back we saw today. We saw six of them, but they're part of it. The tight ends are part of it. The offensive line is part of it. Mike Yersich, his coaching staff. This is one of those things you got to sit down together and really wrap your head around this and effectively, quickly figure this out, whether that's a personnel move uh, or a schematic standpoint. Yeah, it was interesting because after the after the game, Tyler, I mean, you obviously were there. James Franklin proactively said they, they got to get better, you know, running the ball. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I think it that's that, that's basically what You're it was. And, yeah. And I, you know, three of the first four questions were about the inability to to run the ball. Now, one thing he said, and 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 I I think this is partially true, that early in the game, Penn State effectively used that short passing game as sort of a running game. We were sitting up in the press box and I said, yes. look, there's one defensive back on two receivers, throw it there. It, it was right after Kane's first carry. So they throw it to Dotson, pick up six. Then they do it again, the exact same play. With, with Brent Strange as his escort in the same right. spot. You were like, okay, again, again, yeah. You're doing it. it. So in their defense, that's what Villanova was willing to sacrifice. And this was another one of those games where if, they, if, if Penn State had wanted to, they could have passed for 700 yards, but no more in their defense, okay? Mm -hmm. When you're playing that level of opponent, you can't let them dictate what you're going to do offensively, all right? It's one thing when you're playing a Wisconsin who didn't look that great today, by the way. I didn't see the game. Or an Auburn who pulled out a game late. Uh, but when you're playing that level of team, and I, and I was actually down near the, the tunnel uh when Villanova went out on the field before the game, I was down near the photo room picking something up, and that's a very small team. I mean, you, you, you when you watch a, a Power Five team run by you, even somebody as big and doofusy as me, you're kind of impressed by by how big they are. That's a that's a small Villanova team. Played very hard, played with a lot of courage, never gave up, got after it. But you have to be able to run the ball against that sort of team. And, you know, I think the other thing that James Franklin said afterward is that maybe Penn State was getting a little full of itself. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And so you put those things together, and that may be a little bit of an ideal situation in the sense that they're going into this Indiana game. This is going to be a tough week of practice because they weren't happy with the coaches weren't happy with the running game and they I don't think they were happy with the all-around effort I, I may be reading the wrong thing between the lines but I think James Franklin was getting at maybe they were getting a little too full of themselves said they're going to have a real tough practice they're going to get after it on Sunday because they practice hard on Sunday after they go through all their uh, review of stuff and I think that's this may serve them well in the sense that they're, they didn't just walk over this opponent and absolutely destroy them. 
and now you don't have anything to really work on. They have a lot to work on this week, and they really have to get that running game down. And that offensive line has to pull together. They also gave up three sacks today. Now, granted, a couple of those, Clifford held onto the ball really long, but I mean, that's a, you know, you say you have to give the other guy credit. Penn State's got to be able to dictate things against that level of team. Yeah. And, and we don't want this to sound like an airing of grievances. It's a 21 point victory. This team is a 4 0 record, but they put themselves very quickly in a position because of what they accomplished through three weeks to make a lot of people believe uh, externally and internally. I can tell you that from all the player calls and, and the coaching conversations that I've had this week. They really think they're in this thing. And, and college football is in a funky spot this year where a lot of teams we think are going to be contending on an annual basis maybe will not be. Clemson is a perfect example. Um, I know that we're thinking – I'm talking about January things right now when we're talking when we're still in September. But that's where your head quickly goes to when all of a sudden you're the number six team in the country. And, and what James Franklin actually said – I'm going to read his words. He did a very good job of paraphrasing it. But here's what he said after the game. He said, I think they are getting patted on the back. I think they are reading articles, hopefully ours, um, and, and we're making sure that there's no leftovers of that come Sunday. I'm going to make sure we clear all those things out of the fridge. So if there's any of those uh, leftovers from the Auburn matchup and the beautiful whiteout scenery and the 28-20 victory, yeah, that, that's just supposed to be viewed as a step on this long path toward getting to 12-0 through 12 consecutive 1-0s. Sounds like they got hung up a bit on that last particular one or no, but they come away with the win here. And I think that is the, the, the big, if you're looking for, you know, why should I not be running toward the edge of the cliff? And, and I believe in this Penn state team and they didn't look all that today. Listen, they got a win and they won by 21 points and it wasn't that close. It was 38 to three in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and to your point, Mark, if he wanted to, and if Mike Yersich wanted to, Sean Clifford could have gone for 550, 600 yards today, a couple more touchdowns. But what concerns you, aside from the fact that their edge, their mentality was tested this week, what concerns you is in an FCS game, sure, that's great. You can go out, assert your will, 660 yards passing. But if they wanted to, if they truly wanted to, could this Penn State team have lined up against Villanova and ran the ball for 300, 400 yards today? Yeah, and, and the point Franklin made, again, you know, without really being prompted, you're going to get into a situation in a four-minute drill at the end of a game where you're going to have to be able to run the ball, okay? So so just passing it constantly isn't going to cut it. Now, again, having said all that, from the time Jahan Dotson caught that 52-yard pass for a touchdown, I don't think anybody got the sense that Penn State was in any danger. Right. But I think it's our responsibility to point out the things that really were glaring, that that – that this team again, if you if we're looking at this team as a top ten, top you know potentially top five team that could contend for all these things, the only way it's going to get there if it's able to run the ball. So I think that's why we'd lead with this, and I, I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, there was a moment there um, early on in the second half, Mark. I think it was a minute in uh, seconds into the, the the second half where Tyler Will, a, a tight end for Villanova, went down the field stayed down in the field yeah. and and it got really quiet in Beaver Stadium, which is it's hard to make a place like Beaver Stadium sound quiet. And it prolonged and both teams were on their knees. Um, Tyler Will was essentially strapped, you know, to the stretcher, put on a cart. And at that point you're really you're wondering what happens. My myself, I can't help but sort of think about Eric LeGrand personally. Um 
thank God we found out he was okay um, it, it, to the extent where he had movement in, across his body and he had uh, awareness. Now he, he had a concussion under a continued observation. Aside from pointing out the fact that it seems like Ty Will, uh, Tyler Will is going to be okay, I want to point out that moments later there was that touchdown strike that made it 24-3, the 83-yard touchdown bomb to Keandre Lambert-Smith. And at that point you're thinking, okay, how soon can you get to take one Roberson and Kobe King and maybe Landon Tangwall, who we didn't end up getting to see uh, today. But I, I think at the end, ultimately, you, you you just kind of said, okay, let's shift it into a different gear. Penn, Penn State just didn't quite deliver that 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 blow offensively. They did it defensively. They held up just fine. Um, I, I just think that when we look at the offense, it felt like a game, and, and it sure seems like a game where you need to be able to to be a road grader team when you want to be. And I don't know if they could have been today, even if they wanted to be. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting late in the game, uh, they tried Eric Wilson at center. Now, this yes. is with the second team offensive line. Uh, so, but but are, should we be reading anything into that? I, I wonder if maybe they're, they're looking at potential personnel changes. Don't know. Uh, probably a good question for, for uh, Tuesday. Not sure if we'll get answers on that. Right. But I think the fact that you see a guy who hadn't played center i mean we saw juice a couple games ago against ball state juice scruggs get in there and get some snaps at center but i don't think they just throw eric wilson out there for the heck of it uh at center uh, without something going through their heads without thinking of some strategy behind it yeah i spoke i actually asked eric who we, we spoke with after the game you know when's the last time you played center in a game and what hadn't been in college it was back in high school uh, he said he was harvard's emergency center it never came to need him in that capacity. And lately, um, I'm not sure how long it's been going on. I, it made it sound like it's been pretty extended, but Troutwine has been working him in on the practice field to some capacity, getting some snaps at center. Um, and to your point, seeing him there late, um, to me, maybe says more about the center position than it does about the left guard position where we did see Bryce Efner play. We also saw Efner late at right tackle. Um, but you know, this isn't a spot where you can safely say, hey, th this is clearly the five that are fitting us best. When you're examining Penn State and you're trying to point out red flags for a 4-0 team, you are very quickly compelled to look at the interior of this offensive line. Yeah, I, to, to me, I just assumed that Juice Scruggs was the long-term answer at center. I mean, not necessarily this year. But eventually, I figured he was going to be the guy who lands there. Well, he's now. still. I mean, Wilson's a one and done yeah. situation. Yeah, absolutely. But I just, it, it would seem to me if that was the case that you would want Juice getting more snaps at center. So it's one of those things where we probably maybe sometimes we read way too much into stuff. Sometimes we don't read enough into it. But hey, if, what better place to read too much into stuff and than in the Lions two four seven podcast? Oh, absolutely. And, and and you know, speaking of reading into the stats a little bit, which I'm I was doing as you were you were speaking there a bit. Five hundred nine total yards, four hundred and twenty nine of them through the air for Penn State. Why don't we get into that a little bit here, Mark? Because yeah. uh, Sean Clifford, nineteen of twenty six, four hundred and one yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Um, it wasn't involved really in that fourth quarter. So again, the stats could have been much, much, much more uh, incredible, I guess is, is the way to say it. But uh, Taquan Roberson, by the way, and that entire kind of backup situation that we were excited to see and we, we thought we might get a long look, 
did not come together in the way James Franklin had hoped. He actually said he spoke in the locker room afterward and just kind of feeling like that the developmental um, group that came in, the depth group that came in, it didn't hold the standard that was played with earlier in the game. He felt like that standard wasn't met. Um, so he's he's not disappointed. I'm not going to say that's Taquan Roberson, but overall, you didn't really see that that unit that came in and had you know 10, 15 minutes of, of playing time, you know, do its job at a high level. That that really turned your head. We're going to go back. We'll take a look. I'm sure there were some individual guys who stood out, and that will stand out when we get a chance to see that. But but overall, you look at a team that gave up a couple touchdown drives at the end. The starting defense did not do that. And on the offense, uh, you know, there was nothing that really stood out late. You, you, you avoided disaster when Tank Smith had that fumble that was recovered and was going to make a 38-24 there all of a sudden. Uh, that was overturned because he was down. But aside from Lovett, you know, bouncing off a, a couple tackles late in the game, um, you know, the, there really wasn't any major highlights. And I thought going into this game, we'd come out with some nice stories about a guy who scored a late touchdown or someone who came on strong in the fourth quarter. Just wasn't that kind of game. And it wasn't that kind of a game week for Penn State based on what we hear, how they, how they practiced and how they handled the Auburn win. And again, that happens. It's not the dream scenario for you today. Um, so it's a lot to build off of without taking a loss. Yeah, uh, two things. Uh, from the positive standpoint, obviously, Sean Clifford, uh, you know, I thought played a, another really, really good game. And uh, the amazing stat to me, Dotson and Washington combined 12 targets, 12 catches, mm. 265 yards, three touchdowns. Now, that 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 is some go-to receiver material. <laughs> right that's there. like Chris Carter Randy Moss old school stat line that's, inc- yeah. that's that's really impressive and and for Clifford to one of the issues that Clifford had the past couple years at least in my view and I don't know if our listeners and, and viewers will will agree with this but it sure did seem like he would tend to lock on to certain receivers not just in a game but for an entire season and probably with good reason when you had guys like KJ Hamler and Dotson last year and, and, and to a lesser extent, Friermuth. Well, now he's got those two guys, but he's also spreading the wealth. And I, I think that's that that's really good. That's on the positive side. On yeah. a little bit of the other side of the ledger in that fourth quarter, I think when James was being uh, critical of not living up to the standard, my where, how I was reading that, I thought that was more about the defense. I, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'll have to well, go back. Because earlier on, he did say, he said, our first team defense gave up three points. He wanted right. to make that very clear to us. But if you look at the numbers, Villanova, fourth quarter, eight first downs, 14 points, 178 yards, 10 of 11 passing for 138 yards. Again, these are guys who are playing hard, you know, getting after it, not giving up. And not that anybody expected them to. I think everybody expected them to play hard and do that. But even as your backups, you, you know, you got to do a little bit better job than that. Going back to what you said earlier, kudos to the first team defense. They did an outstanding job, only gave up three points. And, and, and those three were after what I thought. And I'll have to go back and look at it a little more closely. But I thought that that uh, roughing call was a, was a little dicey, not, com- not, not anything remotely compared to some of the stuff we saw last week. Uh, but, yeah, the starting defense was was terrific. Uh, but those backups, you know, those young guys, you, you want to see them get in there and, and play with confidence and, and do well. And listen, maybe this is just part of the learning process for them. There were some true freshmen out there. But when they get their opportunity in that sort of situation, 
you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it when you're in their shoes, you got to step up and get it done. And that's why I like I liked Franklin's his tone after the game. I, 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 loved, I loved it. it. it I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, he was mentioned again. That was another thing that he mentioned without us really grilling him on it. So you can see where uh, go back to what I said earlier. You could see where these are going to be a tough few days of practice. Well, I mean, Sunday will be tough. Monday they don't practice, and I'd imagine Tuesday is going to be a tough practice just to get them to where they need to be with Indiana coming to town. Now, having said all these things that we're talking about, in my eyes, I'm not thinking any differently overall about this team. The only area that really stands out to me that I think they have to absolutely get moving is the running game. Because I think overall, they're still this is still a top 10, top five team. I don't think you can win the Big Ten with, without uh, a legitimate running game. I don't. You don't need to have uh, the best running game in the Big Ten to win the Big Ten, but you can't have um, one that is highly inefficient and ineffective, um, particularly between the tackles. The perimeter stuff has worked well, um, but it's also working well in this case against an FCS opponent, and, right. and so we got to keep that in mind. Um, uh, by the way, just to put in context how strong this defensive effort was. Um, today and that continues the theme for them early in the season. I, I took note when Arnold Abikadi came up with his latest sack um, late. I believe this was late in the third, early fourth, right before they started to bring in those backups. And this was really the final defensive stand up for the first team. It forced the Wildcats seventh punt, and at that point, Villanova had 104 total yards. They were averaging 2.7 yards per play, and Penn State had built a 31, going on 38 to three lead. So defensively there's not really a lot to poke holes in I, I continue to see pj mustafer look every bit the the kind of interior defensive lineman that you hoped he could be back in 2018 in that recruiting class when he was a top 10 prospect there um you know brandon smith did a nice job setting the tone early with a really hard hit uh, i thought Derek tangelo uh, did well for himself was in the backfield a bit um someone late in the game i will say the one young guy that i, I kind of noticed a couple of times and said, okay, uh, Kobe King, every time he's yeah. gotten a chance to really get out there, he, I, you pick him up off the field and it's not easy to do when it's 22 guys and it's late in a blowout. It's not easy to jump off the field. For some reason, he just seems to be a little bit more in tune with knowing where he needs to go and getting there um, than a lot of the other guys that were out in that scramble. And that's a lot of what we heard about him. And I think that that's excellent for the future of Penn state at, at linebacker in that box role. Uh, because they're going to need to fill some things moving forward. Yeah, I also liked how they were rotating some young guys in early in the game. I mean, Izzard was in there. Vanover, Vanover was in there. Uh, I'm forgetting who else was on the D-line. Remember that three-man front? Vanover was inside. He's a defensive end. And then it was – it was uh, okay. Well, He wasn't uh, in that. Yeah, but he he was in early, but he wasn't in that three-man front. Oh, Vanover. I thought we saw Vanover inside with Evicade and Lucetta, uh bookending. No, yeah, I was confusing myself and you. I, I had mentioned Vilbert. Vilbert was not in uh, the game. The game moves fast in the press box. Yeah, that, that, not a lot of replays. <laughs> but they were they did rotate a lot of those guys in. I think knowing and, and another pretty cool stat from that game: twenty four different Penn State players had at least one tackle. Nobody had more than four. So they were kind of spreading the wealth defensively, and and I think that speaks to the way they were rotating guys in early. Uh, but but again, in that fourth quarter. You want those young guys as a group to step up and have some success, and they didn't really have it in that game. So we'll see how it is going forward. You know, when's the next time they'll be in a position to 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 get that many minutes? 
uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, I think they're going to ride those guys a little bit in practice this week. Yeah. Um, and, and we will – it's going to be interesting because this week Franklin could have given his guys an out in some ways uh, along the way in that press conference, and he didn't. Um, I think he wants the heat to be cranked up a little bit on them. He's going to apply it himself. But I think he has he has this mantra that he's told us he wants his team to grow from being uncomfortable. And right. that, that's when, you know, when he made his great to elite speech, that what, that's what he says. That was that it's that it's about that. It's making his team feel uncomfortable so they can grow from that. And I think he's making his team feel uncomfortable this week. They need to, uh, they're a team that came in with a lot of questions and they can't pretend that they've answered all of those questions just because they're three, you know, um, but again, you're four and right now, you're not going to plummet in the rankings just because you only beat Villanova by 21 points. Uh, the, the things that we're talking about that are issues uh, here locally will be discussed, but unless you were glued to that Penn state game, you're not really going to know a lot of what problems are arising. You're going to look at the final score. You're going to look at the stat sheet and say, Whoa, Sean Clifford bowled out and look what Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington did. And the last thing I want to hit on here, uh, we have a bunch of episodes coming up next week. We'll, we'll take another look at this game, uh, final look at this game on Monday. But I, Mark, I wanted to point out something special that, that Keandre Lambert Smith did. And it's special for him because I wrote earlier, right before, right after that game one, where he had a big catch uh, in the game against Wisconsin in the second half. Men, his mentality has changed. He said again today he was mentally weak last year when he got to campus. We're talking about uh, a, a, an All-American player, a top 200 overall prospect who was as confident as anyone I've ever seen on a high school field in retrospect a year later saying that he was mentally weak uh, because he wouldn't let plays go after they happened. You saw today the first incomplete pass that Sean Clifford uh, threw in about 40 minutes of game action went off the hands of Keandre Lambert-Smith. He was open, but he had to go really high. He had to extend for that ball. Not going to act like it was an easy catch, but he said he talked to himself internally, said he was gentle about it, not angry with himself. He tries to be gentle with himself. And what happened later in the game, 83-yard touchdown. He ended up with a couple catches for 88 yards and a touchdown. But when he's cooking and you've got Dotson, Parker, Washington doing their thing, I still have major concerns about what happens beyond them at wide receiver if they got to go that route at some point. But that's a trio that you saw today. That's something that's really exciting. And that's something that, let's face it, we hadn't seen a lot of this kind of a performance where it's everybody involved with the quarterback. Mike Yersich is, is making an imprint here. You don't see it all over the place yet. But I think this is one area where you're certainly seeing you know, major forward momentum in a hurry. Yeah, if you're, if you're one of your bigger concerns is settling on a fourth receiver – you know, especially when you have Dotson in Washington, because to me, those guys are both performing at Dotson's performing at an elite level. Washington is right there. And now Lambert Smith, you can see where he's getting how, what maturity on that kid's part. Mm -hmm. You know, Franklin told us that he he basically went to the kid and told him that, you know, you, you have to be more you, you can't you have to be more mature. And the kid's like, yeah, OK, I do. And he did it. Yeah. So to, to be able to do that, I, you know, I think it really says something. Uh, for him and, and, and Taylor Stubblefield, uh, kudos to him because I know he has yeah. meant everything in that growth uh, for Keandre Lambert Smith. And if you've heard Taylor Stubblefield talk, he gets on these guys when he needs to, but he's a calming presence when I'm on a Zoom call with him. <laughs> so, yeah. One other thing I wanted to point out it's uh, because it, it seems as if it happened uh, like three days ago, mm -hmm. but huge commitment on the field yes. for Penn State. And I mean huge, like literally in, in Mega Barnwell. 
uh, recommitting, I guess. Is that the, that's the, the, the better way of putting it, you know, it doesn't happen often. Yeah. And I mean, Micah Parsons did it. You know, will, will this guy have that kind of impact? I don't know. He's obviously on a different side of the ball, but I could just tell you having been de- down there on the field after the game, he gave Franklin a big hug and then was walking off the field and people were like, Oh, congratulations, mega for committing. He's gigantic. Yes. I mean, and you know, like you look at Theo Johnson and Theo Johnson is huge. That mega is that is the absolute right name for him, uh, but to to keep the recruiting momentum rolling, uh, even with a a guy from the the next class, I just think that was a real positive for Penn State and and this new trend of guys committing on the field uh, is kind of keeping us on our toes, isn't it? Yeah, and, and Andre Roy committed to end this previous week. I know we've got some recruiting talk to catch up here in the podcast. I promise we're going to do that. Mr. Fitz will be back. We'll break all that down. But, yeah, Barnwell, I mean, good point. We almost went through the whole show. Um, man, the, before the game, uh, you had the, the camera focus there, and, wow, it was – it was. It's pretty cool to see it come full circle because again, I've covered recruiting for a while now, and it very rarely happens. Often, you'll hear, "Hey, I'm decommitting, but I'm going to keep you in consideration. I have a great right. relationship with the staff." Maybe you get a hat on the table, but very rarely is it really coming full circle. Still got a ways to go with him. You got to get him to signing day next year. Right. But this is a guy who committed to you in the thick of the pandemic last last year before his sophomore season. We're talking about a guy who is a four star tight end, but I'm telling you, six foot five at least, two hundred and seventy pounds at least looks like a potential first round pick at an offensive tackle at the age of 21, 22 years old to me. That's a conversation between him and the staff. And either way, I think it's a tremendous ad for Penn state as they get rolling in 2023 a bit. Um, and, and Mark, the one I said, Keandre Lambert Smith was the last guy I wanted to mention. I do want to mention this really cool again to see Marquise Wilson, a couple catches today, uh, 26 yards. And then Penn state punts the ball, I believe. He stays in the field, lines up at cornerback. You just don't see that. And I thought it was really cool. It was, you know, kind of in the middle of a blowout, late in a blowout, but just seeing him catch the ball during a series and then stick around to play cornerback, that's different. And, and there's something different about Marquise Wilson. And I think as the season moves forward, we're going to see a lot more of this kid. Yeah, he caught a punt too. I mean, he was back mm-hmm. there fielding a punt. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he could he could do, do anything. I nearly put on the board, I, I joked about this with you in the uh, – during the game, I nearly put on the board that Wilson is is in that center, you know, in our in-game thread, meaning Eric Wilson. And I'm thinking, geez, yeah. everywhere that Marquise Wilson is playing, people may think I mean Marquise Wilson is playing center. I'm joking, obviously. But, yeah, it's that's so much fun to see, isn't it? I mean, it, we just see it so, so little anymore. And to have him out there, you know, offense, defense, and special teams, and we had a chance to talk to him after the Auburn game, outgoing guy. Uh, really fun to talk to. So it's going to be fun to track him as the season goes along. I'd like to know how Micah Parsons feels about it. That's that's the one guy I'd like to ask about that issue. because well, had- <laughs> There's a lot of guys, though, because remember on uh, on Wednesday we talked to Castro Fields and somebody said, what position would you like to play on offense? And he had mm-hmm. a good answer. He said quarterback, which would be really funny, and, uh, and wide receiver. But Castro Fields was a good wide receiver. I mean – all these guys, yeah. all these defensive backs were probably good wide receivers uh, in high school. But to see somebody be able to do it at, at this level where you have to spend a certain amount of time practicing with both positions during the week, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think it doesn't – I think it not only speaks to his athletic ability but also his intelligence. I mean, that is an awful lot to absorb. 
Yeah, uh, I think both of those things and returning kicks. I mean, it, it, again, this isn't like high school where you can just out athlete everybody. You have to know what you're, you what the heck you're doing. And and clearly, this kid is intelligent enough. Not only is he gifted athletically, but he's intelligent enough to be able to do that. Yeah, I've got a story in the works for this upcoming week about Marquise Wilson and and what his teammates say it takes to get to be able to actually do this in a game at, at the power five level. Um, I hope to share that with you all in a few days, but a uh, conversation that I think we'll keep having as his role, role expands. Look, a lot of positives here, maybe more negatives to dwell on and talk about than we anticipated going into the matchup, but we're moving forward to, to cover Penn state at four and Uh So a lot to like about that when you look around college football and uh, you know, Indiana comes down and buckle up because that is the first of eight consecutive conference games. You get one bye week in the mix there, but this is where you show what you are if you're Penn State football and if you're everybody across this conference. A lot to learn, uh, learning a little bit more today, maybe some concerns. But, uh, Mark, thanks for jumping on. Uh, really, really do appreciate it every time. And um, we'll get Mr. Fitz back on this upcoming week. And we hope he enjoyed his, uh, his foray away from Beaver Stadium today. Yeah, well, we'll see how that we'll see how it goes for him with what with uh, watching the Ryder Cup. Uh, I didn't I didn't see what happened today, but uh, hopefully he has a good ending to watch uh, tomorrow because uh, obviously it's been a lot of fun so far, and uh, always happy to pitch in uh, and help when I can. Yeah, I'm sure he'll come home with some stories. Uh, we'll be back here on the Lions 24/7 podcast with four new episodes next week for Indiana matchup on Saturday. It's a primetime game, 7:30 kickoff in Beaver Stadium. Uh, be sure wherever you're listening to us that you're also watching us on YouTube. We're over 800 subscribers in a hurry, so we really appreciate that. Uh, Lions 24/7 channel over at YouTube. On behalf of Mark Brennan, thanks to our producer Lance Glenn. We'll talk to you real soon. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24/7 podcast. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.